Welcome to the Leadership Zone. I'm your host, Sheila Walsh, Leadership Development Specialist, Coach and Researcher. Welcome to the Leadership Zone. I have Adam Forbes with me today. So I'm going to get Adam to introduce himself and then we're going to have a conversation about his work and what that might mean for you, the listeners. So Adam, would you give us a proper introduction to yourself and give us a sense of who you are and what you do? Sure. Thanks, Sheila, for having me here. I'm, I'm delighted to be on your podcast. So my name's Adam Forbes. I am, well, 20 odd years in corporate careers, and I am now an author that writes about my experience in corporate careers, and particularly about how to escape that corporate career. So take all the amazing things that you've learned in your corporate career and package them up in a way that enables you to create a life that might serve you a bit better. Yeah, I'm taking my experience, turned it into a book and some coaching, and I now help other people prepare to leave their corporate jobs and find something a bit more fulfilling. So tell me a little bit about what that looks like in reality when somebody is, before they come to work with you, so before they know they want to leave, I'm guessing, do they come looking for general coaching or for working with you? Like, how does somebody know, first of all, that they need to work with you? What kind of leads to that insight? Well, most people have probably found me through the words corporate escapology, which kind of gives it a bit away about what I'm really talking about. So not general coaching. I'm not a coach, accredited coach. I um, I do a bit of mentoring and I use some of the coaching principles. But really what they would typically be looking for is escape, is an exit, but they may feel trapped. And being trapped, I think, is one of the worst feelings. I mean, I get very kind of claustrophobic myself. And I've felt that feeling of claustrophobia when you're in a job that is no longer the right one for you. So many of those people may be feeling like they have no choice, but they have to carry on doing the job they want to do. And I think that's a very sad place to be for something that takes such a big part of your life and actually starts to define you too. So I'm all about trying to kind of reverse that feeling of being trapped and instead help people find a pathway that might suit them better, but without taking some of the risk. So I think lots of people come to me thinking, I want out, but it's too risky. I've got responsibilities, you know, I've built up a reputation. I've got people depending on me now. And the idea of just jumping out of all of that is terrifying. And I totally empathize with that. I couldn't do that myself. When I was wanting to leave, I had those responsibilities. I felt like I'd built a reputation and and a track record that was kind of important to me. And I was, my identity was quite tied up with the corporate career I've built up too. So I identify with all of that, but I still think there's a pathway out. And really, I hope they will come to me because they think I may be able to help unlock some of that thinking and help them prepare. I see a couple of different things. So one thing is, somebody who you kind of mentioned their identity is wrapped up in kind of the corporate world but i would even go a step further that their ideas of success are only in the shape of corporate success you know so if i say like what's success to you they tell me about what success for their company might be or their success is related to succeeding at a type of company in a type of way and then equally i see people saying i want to get out and other people say i could never do that i could never be that person i'd rather be this person or do this job What do you think though leads to people getting, kind of getting to a place where they say, 
oh, I need to escape. I need to leave. This is not what I want. Like, how do you think they get there? I find that really interesting. Nobody talks about this. That's why I find it interesting. Nobody talks about how we could succeed mm. and get to the point where the thing we think we want could be so unsatisfying and feel so trapping. So I'm really curious about that. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think partly it's because we sort of jump on you know, convey about quite early on in our lives, you know, through education and then going into into a career. What we're jumping on when we're 15, 18, 22, you know, it's not necessarily what we want in midlife, you know, maybe from our late 30s or into our 40s, we may be wanting different things there. And I think for a while, work is working for us. So when we're younger, we get quite a lot of development, we get quite an acceleration, we get opportunities because we've got a few responsibilities, we can go anywhere, we can take on extra work, we can work really, really hard to prove ourselves. Then maybe as we start, you know, I'm speaking very generically, but say we start having a family, then work becomes slightly gets balanced out by home life taking over quite a bit. And we need that job. That job becomes really important. It's a very stabilizing force. And I think as the children grow up, that starts to open up more time and also a bit more inquiry where we say, is this enough for me now? So typically in the 40s, people will start saying, is this job doing what it was doing? And and by that time, of course, what's happening is, you know, you're in a kind of hierarchy in a pyramid and the opportunities aren't nearly so, there's not nearly so many of those opportunities. You can't actually jump nearly as far as you used to be able to. So, you know, you've got a, a fairly fixed identity. This is what Adam Forbes does. Therefore, he can't go and just jump to a complete different part of the business. Well, you might be able to do that in your 20s, in your early part of your career. So your opportunities are declining at a time that you might be starting to think, is this enough? And the idea of, you know, in your 40s, thinking, I might have 20 years, and that might even be pushed out even more as pension age gets higher, you might start thinking, I can't do this for another 20 years. It's too long. I mean, given that, you know, you might have been at university, that when you look back 20 years, the idea of looking forward 20 years and thinking, I'm going to do this, it's not satisfying for everyone. Some people it is, you know, some people absolutely love it. And some people also have got a really great balance in their life where they see work as just a means to an end. You know, they've got a really rich life outside and they think, this work is just funding that. And that's quite a healthy balance there. But it's when you've given so much to work, it's taken over a sort of disproportionate amount of focus and attention and an energy and identity that actually if that starts to not equal what you want, then I think it's inevitable you'll start questioning it and maybe start getting a bit unhappy too. That's a really interesting answer because one of the pieces of research I saw recently was around how our happiness drops at I think about 40 to 55 roughly timeline because you've strived up until that point at that point your life mm -hmm. looks like what your life looks like you have an assessment kind of of where you've got to you know the fantasy of where you were working towards you might be there you might not but it's still just reality in its kind of most normal mm -hmm. ordinary form mm -hmm. that that might not be enough anymore and I think that that's a really interesting one timeline and also like you said lifestyle so if you've had kids if they become your priority if you don't have kids but your peers do suddenly like around the kind of 40s is a quite a 
extensive change of lifestyle for people for lots of different reasons. And I think that obviously has an impact on their relationship with work and the purpose of work. But it is interesting what you're saying around the purpose, because, you know, in the 90s, your identity around work was closer to money. So it was closer to do I earn enough of a salary to have my life right? And then kind of mid late 90s into the noughties, we see a shift to social work where we see like people spend more time at work. We see like the big techs coming in and making it easier Mm -hmm. to be at work that you don't have to be at home. Your food is cooked, you know, loads of different shifts. And then titles upon titles become much bigger than they used to be. You know, so titles were just you either managed or you didn't that it was like almost quite simplistically, but it was almost as simple as that. You were either a manager or not. Whereas now there's the manager, the supervisor, the leader, the VP, there's just title upon title, which is designed to give a sense of authority and purpose and and importance. But it's really interesting then what that does to your own identity that exists outside of work and where work then becomes maybe a place of Mm -hmm. being seen and not just a place of contributing or, or doing work, but being important and you know, maybe being unchallenged, maybe getting to express yourself, like loads of different pieces. So it does change, therefore, the expectation. And I'm hearing quite a few people talk about generational differences. I'm particularly not a fan of how we're currently talking about them because people say, like, what do Gen Z want? What the millennial? Like, this is kind of like derogatory idea that Um, all generations in some way are negative. Like, we don't talk about generations in a very positive way, generally, for some reason I still don't know but there is a piece about where we see the expectations of generations are changing so what would have previously been important such as the organization was a stable organization or or was a good brand or had good benefits now people are like yeah but what are they doing with inclusion and diversity what are they doing with social responsibility what are they doing with climate you know there's this expectation that didn't exist because it's so much closer to people's identity now the identity of the organization and and that kind of mix up. So I suppose it's interesting because I see why organizations have leveraged it because it's allowed them to optimize performance and loyalty and, and these things. But also there is a shadow side that we don't often talk about, which I think is where people see themselves through the lens of the organization. So not just seeing that they contribute, but now I view myself to the lens of the organization. So how the organization values people, values the work I do, does different things. And I think it's leading to a lot more, like we used to joke about midlife crises, but it's not leading to those, it's leading to actual reflections on work. And I think COVID helped us with that as well. It's prompted this, why do I go to work really conversation? Definitely did. I think, you know, you have those moments where you pause, don't you? And we have space to think, is this enough? So, I mean, COVID, I think incontrovertible, it had like, it was one of those moments where you just step back. And of course, it was existential as well, because around us, people are actually not surviving through it, you know, dying through COVID. So it makes you really think, is this enough? But I think it was interesting you used the word shadow, because I was thinking you said shallow to begin with as well. Yeah. And there's an element of all of these values programs, the DNI programs, the purpose programs, unless they're really, really authentic and really deeply felt and therefore demonstrated by leaders like really consistently and totally which is probably unrealistic of just human beings then in some ways it's worse it's the higher expectation than it was just to be paying somebody money and just getting a kind of some hours for your money now I'm expecting all of this from work and so I think 
the expectation is just unrealistic, probably. You know, for example, when I was in my old job, I used to work for BP, which is a you know, controversial company. And they have, of course, had a team looking at purpose. And I'm, I really, really struggled with it. I remember desperately trying to connect what I did on a daily basis with the company's purpose. And the company's purpose is at this sort of level. And here am I at this level. And how am I connecting these two things? And I found it really, I felt like it was incompatible. What I was doing felt like slightly linked, but just not enough. In some ways, it undermined a sense of purpose. When I left, I suddenly felt liberated. Like actually my purpose, I can craft it myself. And I found it much easier to define, embrace. I found it much less I didn't expect so much of myself or so much out of the purpose as I was expecting either. So I think some of these things send, they set us up to be disappointed mm. in a way because they are shallow, they aren't practiced as nearly as much as people need them to be to really believe in them and have faith in them foundational rather than just a bit of a reaction or a, uh, a bit of kind of greenwashing or whatever else it might be. And I think some of these expectations, they also make us at the moment sceptical and question, is this right? Is this enough? And, you know, I saw this stat the other week around, I don't quite believe it. And I also don't quite think everyone chooses to be a freelancer. But in this case, it's like half of people are freelancer or getting on for half of people are freelancing. Some of those people I don't think necessarily would choose to be. So I'm talking about maybe a sort of privileged group of those freelancers that are choosing to be but it's really interesting that there's a trend upwards towards that where people are getting out of a conventional career and finding that there are other ways for them to have you know to get income to have the kind of life and build the life they want to lead i guess what i'm trying to do with corporate escapology is for this group that are quite experienced people in a corporate job i want them to think like that kind of millennial that supposedly just drops everything and just goes after a job that is more purposeful or, or makes life work for them by yeah, logging in from the beach or whatever. I mean, I know these are the ridiculous sorts of stereotypes. I want people who are a bit more experienced to see these opportunities are open to you. In fact, you actually have more to offer now because of your deep experience that you may not necessarily value as much as you should and you may not know is valued as much as it is and I just think shining a light on that helping those people see that they do have options even if they choose to stay to know that you've got alternatives I think is a really great way of feeling confident and feeling good about where you stay you know you as I say you may choose to stay in that job which is perfectly fine not everyone needs to leave but the worst thing is to be there because you feel trapped like you have no options mm. There's just so many points in that that I think are worth picking up on. I think often when I'm working with people, you know, if you do anything around leadership or inclusion, right? So of course I had to add the two together. But if you do anything about those two, immediately people mm -hmm. automatically idealize those things. So we can't do inclusion mm -hmm. unless we do everything perfectly. We're not a good leader unless everything is perfect. And it can create what I call, I call it fantasy, but it's actually Melanie Klein's work with children, which is the PH fantasy. So basically the fantasy children have to feel safe in the world is that their mommy and daddy are perfect or their parents are perfect, you know, or their guardians are perfect. And they are not at risk because everything around them is perfect, not because they themselves can, can achieve things. And 
to do so, we have to create these fantasies about our parents, you know, are untouchable in different ways. And maybe one is touchable in one way, but another isn't, or, you know, then granny or granny, there are these omnipresent adults in the world who knows what's going on and can fix everything. And whenever I do any work in organizations, especially when we're striving for something better, I have to remind them that better is better in the next step. Better is not idealistic. So I can aim for something, but that doesn't mean that the whole organization is going to deliver that all the time or that every leader will always get that right. And that that means mm. that we're working to make today better than yesterday. Or, and it's a very practical approach, but there is this inclination in us <laughs> to idealize things. And therefore, when we talk about purpose, it's almost like any evidence that the purpose wasn't adhered to in every setting is when we talk about purpose is what people are talking about instead of how purpose is a guiding piece. And I think part of that is because everything can be weaponized, you know, and in corporate work, everything is utilized for optimal performance. Like it is like we measure it. The quickest way I can help people with inclusive leadership is when they understand the bottom line. I have half the barriers to get through. That's just the reality because organizations exist for a purpose. Corporate organizations generally exist to produce money, shares, finance, profit, depends the style. So there's something about, I have no issue with wanting an organization to be like, I want to work with very ethical purpose-driven organizations. And also there's nothing wrong with knowing that they exist for a reason that will create tension. That is perfectly average part of working in corporate settings. But what I find can happen is that when organizations do this big work on values or strategy or purpose, they forget to remind people that we're just human beings aspiring <laughs> to these things. And then it sets up people who have really invested in the process in some way, or like you had mentioned, where do I meet this purpose? What's my role in it? Is it really for me? Or have they kind of written it for someone else's job? It creates this dissonance cognitive dissonance where we can't find our place because actually we've oversold it you know we've yeah yes kind of painted it in some weird way that doesn't allow people to also stay connected to reality which is the purpose helps us work better together and also we produce profit you know that's actually the the organization your wages don't exist if we don't produce profit your job doesn't exist if we but it's almost like we're not having that kind of real conversation sometimes and we're splitting it and then individuals are becoming split as well going oh, you said those values but then you made that decision and and it becomes this kind of like right. evidence of untruth and people find that dissonance really mm. disturbing like cognitive dissonance is so disturbing for an individual that they have to pick a side they have to make it make sense and then on top of maybe already being in a place where you're like what I decided to do at 25 might not be what I want to do at 45 or my vision of success at 25, even at 30, at 35, at 40 might not be the same as 45 or 50 or 55. We don't really have it inbuilt into our corporate cultures to check that, to stop and normalize the fact that actually I got here because I happened to be good at something or happened to be getting promoted or I pursued promotion in some way. And I never really checked if actually I, I wanted to spend seven hours a day in confrontational meetings or eight hours a day pulling people through it and like don't get me wrong i work with mostly leaders who are quite content and committed to their work but i think that there's always a risk like from a trauma-informed lens if we don't have choice and i find the most harmful person in the organization is not the person who hates it it's the person who doesn't think they have a choice to be there 
that's where individuals and cultures are harmed is that lack of choice and it seems like that's what you're talking about when people mm. get there the yeah, it's exactly there yeah it's exactly that that choice and i think i didn't feel like i had it at various times because you know i had a mortgage i had children i had responsibilities and i felt for a long time i didn't have choice and you know careers again Another thing that's changed is we aren't locked in in the same way we once were. So the terms that I joined a big corporate in, in whenever it was, 2004 or something, aren't on offer to somebody joining that big corporate in 2024. Because of that, there is less, I was going to say it's loyalty, but it's not necessarily loyalty. It's just that it becomes so unattractive to leave that you end up staying. And that's what, and so of course I was in that mindset too. I can't afford to leave. It would be stupid to leave because I would be leaving a lot of value on the table. I might as well just plateau because I'm going to cash in at some time potentially anyway. So why would I go and take a huge risk? And whilst I'm not knocking that now, because I think it's quite a sort of understandable reaction to that, I think the worst thing you can do is just wait around like a victim until something happens something external happens which typically is a, a restructure a reorganization that doesn't either leave you where you want to be within the organization or, or wants you out of that organization and so really what i'm proposing in corporate escapology is just preparation so that you don't need to jump you just need to get yourself in the right place so that if you do want to jump or if you do have the opportunity that it does arise you're not completely thrown by it, which again is a form of feeling like trapped. And then you go into kind of shock mode where it's just dreadful when actually it could be the best opportunity open to you to leave at that point. But I'll tell you what would be the worst opportunity is when your confidence is at an all time low and then you're given out of nowhere or seemingly nowhere uh, the notice that your job no longer is in or it's in scope for redundancy or your job is no longer required. And then you have to build up at your own expense, you have to build up your confidence to go and face, uh, you know, build and create new opportunities for yourself. Because I saw people like it, I saw myself like it to agree, is try to help people prepare so they're not they're not forced into that sort of victim position. But and again, it's all linked this because if you have a very healthy balance with work and you recognise it is just part of your life, it's a means to an end. It's yes, of course, it, it does create some of your identity and purpose because it's a big part of your life. It needs to, but it's not everything. And as long as you get those things in balance, if a shock happens or you get really destabilized or you find yourself doing something you don't want to do, you're in a much better situation to be able to look at that more objectively and say, that's not for me anymore. This is the time that I'm going to exit. And I'm not exiting from a point of low confidence. I'm exiting from a point of high confidence because I can I recognize the capabilities and skills and experiences that I've developed whilst I've been in this career. And I'm now able to put those into a new formula that will create the next part of my life. And that's really what I'm trying to help people with so that they don't feel victims. They don't feel trapped because I don't think they need to. I think what happens you see in corporate jobs is, is that your confidence gradually gets eroded because you're just not tested enough. You know, you're you're doing the same job in a sort of fairly routine way. Everybody knows you, so you're not having to justify yourself. You've got a position that everybody recognises that's your space. And because you're not tested, and humans, if they're not tested, 
they stop believing that they're as good as they are or they start believing they're good at this bit but they couldn't do anything out outside of that and i want to really hold them help them hold the mirror up to themselves and see all this amazing skills and experience that they've developed start to identify what they might do with those next and that way shore up that confidence so that it doesn't kind of fall away and plummet Brilliant. That sounds really good. It's definitely worth kind of thinking about. So tell us a little bit about, I know you have a book coming out and where can listeners Mm. find you to be able to follow up and have a chat, but also to see some of your work? Yeah. So write a blog. I've been writing a blog ever since I left BP, actually, to sort of the journey of leaving and the kind of ups and downs and emotional kind of shifts that happen as you extricate yourself from something that you've known in my case for 16 years every day and five years before that for another company and um, so that blog is on Substack it's called Corporate Escapologist I've got an Instagram which I'll put tips and various things on as well again called Corporate Escapologist and I've started doing a podcast with people that have left corporate jobs and tell their story about both leaving and how they prepared for that but also what they're doing next to sort of inspire people and build confidence that there is a future after this and it might be as rewarding financially as the one you had or two so sort of knock out some of these myths that people might have that it's all full of risk it's only sort of uh, social enterprises that you can do or startups where you're not making any money for 10 years or whatever taking huge risks these people are have built are building lives that work for them just as well as they work for them when they were in a a corporate job so that is also called corporate escapology oh that's fab i think that's really important i often find when someone especially if they're more senior it's interesting because people think you know when i have enough experience you know i'll be able to make better choices but the truth is generally in corporate settings you become more and more pinned in emotionally speaking as it, like you've described rather than necessarily reality and i often find that when i speak to people they say you know look i won't get a job now because of my age or you know i couldn't do this for this reason and sometimes i, I spoke to someone last year and we did the maths because I had known what was going in their area of work and they actually could double their money in half their work and already had the network and like they never considered it because they were so used to looking at their work only through this one lens that they they couldn't see how doing exactly what they did ironically for someone else they could actually double their money half their work and have more control over the kind of the nature and the tone of it and that was simply because they only knew what they knew. And that's where I think work like what you do, Adam, is really important because we only know what we know. And unless you are touching loads of different areas, it's very hard to see how your work, A, is transferable or how people doing your actual work can support themselves in different ways. And yeah, I find it really, really interesting that difference. And I I often say that I have consultant uh, friends or colleagues, and you know, when a company asks them to go internal, you know, there's kind of a bit of a joke, like you get the security, but you'd be paid less to do more. Mm-hmm. And it's not inaccurate. You know, I, I've yet to see the opposite of that. But there's something about kind of understanding that there is a world of things working outside of your understanding, especially if you spent a lot of time in corporate settings, because it's usually kind of a, a very linear approach that's understood. Mm-hmm. That's not the only approach that's being used. And that's not the only approach that um, supports people. So I think it's a really good piece. And when does your book come out? So it comes out in July, which is still quite a way off. So I've got a bit of work to do to promote uh, the book over the next six months or so. But yeah, I'm doing some coaching alongside there. And the book is a very practical book. I've deliberately made it. I didn't, I mean, I read, I read so many books all the time in my corporate career. I was constantly getting books, whether it was on 
purpose or strategy or how to develop some capability and they'd go in one air go out especially with the kindle and so i decided i was going to make this a really practical book to encourage people to write in it so it's got lots of little tables and templates and just to scribble notes in as as you work through each of the sections because what i observed the more i talked to people is there is a sort of method for for getting prepared first you have to sort of disentangle yourself, detach from the corporate life, because we've got that identity. We only see that one pathway as this is the only thing I can do. So you have to do a bit of work to detach. Then you have to audit yourself. Then you have to really understand yourself in a much more holistic sense than just the job description and the role that you currently do. Then you have to look at options. And just to your point, okay, well, I can see I could do a job in another company like this, but actually there are a whole load of other ways that you could still use your skills as a coach, as a consultant, as advisor, sitting on a board, whatever it might be. So there's something there about exploring options. And then it's about the exit. And there's gaps that you will have. You need to work on those gaps. Network is usually one of the big ones that corporate people struggle with. But, you know, ideally you start building that network before you leave. Mm-hmm. But, you know, identity, you need to do some work on that. And you may have some capability gaps too. You may need to get some kind of experience or qualification or something to do what you want to do outside of that corporate context. And then the last bit is really just sustaining that. So how do you sustain leaving? And how do you know that you've built a better life because of that rather Mm -hmm. than just wanting to flip back, which is the tendency whenever you go through wobbles? So I just started observing people had gone through the same kind of approach when they had left and I thought well I'll write this up and I'll share that and hopefully it'll help people so that's really what the book is that sort of practical way through that method anybody listening can pre-order it as well because I it is yeah it's on Amazon already actually yes so that's excellent and the cover is fabulous I love it thank you for being with us I'm going to ask for one quote so just tell me something about a pet peeve in the workplace that you just want to lay on the table before we finish yes I, I gave this a bit of thought the pet peeve because obviously now I'm not really in the kind of corporate world, although I do do quite a lot of work with corporate still. But the thing for me is the non-decisions. That's the pet peeve. You know, the things where you go into a room and you would be looking for a decision and you walk out and you're like, it wasn't really a no, but it wasn't really a yes either. And that sort of malaise that goes on in corporates where people are just sort of like working in this in ambiguous space where they're not really sure. And of course, what happens then is if you say, right, I think it was a yes and you go ahead with it and it's a success, but you know, it was always clear that was a decision was to get, was to, you were given the approval. But if it was a no, then you're hauled up because you approved that. And it's really a result of a lack of leadership there yeah. by not being clear enough. I'm saying no here for these three reasons, or I'm saying yes here for these three reasons, or there are some conditions, but that clarity that was one of my biggest peeves. You try and push people to make those decisions. Is that a yes then? And you'd still find this language, fluffy language that you'd walk out still think, I'm not sure it was quite a yes, but they didn't definitely didn't say no, so I'll carry on. And you know, thousands of people working like this. What a waste of money and time and everything else. I love that Pepe. It's it's so funny because then you also spend your time trying to read between the lines and you yeah. don't know what the lines are unless you're really familiar with that exact environment those lines are different in every single organization so you're like oh that was a dare you to do it that was a we have your back that was a oh we don't care that was a not right now that was a we can't tell you the thing it just 
the lack of decision means so many different things in different right. and it creates frictions it oh. stops progress you know it's so painful and i think startups who i work a lot more with now they don't have that there's a directness about things no you are not to work on that and you know and i think that is helpful. People like clarity. I like to know where I stand. Okay, if I'm not doing that, then I'll go and do that instead. Is that all right? Yes, fine, do that. That's how you would work if it was your own business. You know, you wouldn't let people just waste time and waste your money if you if it was your own business. And I think the more we should think like that really as, as leaders of, in corporates too. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. And all the links below so everyone can follow you, get the book on Amazon, pre-order it, and keep up to date on Instagram. So thank you so much for joining us. That was really helpful. Okay, Thank you for listening to The Leadership Zone. We can continue this conversation over on Twitter and my Twitter handle is at Sheila Walsh one or at LinkedIn, you'll find me under Sheila Walsh. To book a free consultation to discuss your leadership needs or the leadership development needs of your organization, simply visit my website, www.sheilawalsh.com and book a free leadership consultation. I look forward to hearing from you.